Um, but uh, last week when the storms were moving in, the mountains got a ton of snow. It was kind of that first big storm. The news was really kind of creating a lot of hoopla, um, at least for us. They were saying, oh man, it's going to be, they were saying in the benches area, especially uh, in this area, we were supposed to get like six to eight inches of snow, which was a lie from the pit of hell because <laughs> it didn't happen, right? And so we were geeked about it in our house. Like we were like we were running around telling the kids, guess what, guys? There's gonna be snow tomorrow, lots of snow. You're gonna wake up to a winter wonderland. And we realize now, like in hindsight, we shouldn't tell our kids anything um, about anything, okay? But this was just a bad parenting maneuver at this moment. But we were telling them, and if you tell my son something and my daughter something, they get pretty locked into it. So we're we're hyping it up. There's gonna be snow tomorrow. My wife will keep them home from school um, if there's enough snow, just for the fun of it, because we value snow. Over education. That's just the kind of the way we roll. All right. Don't judge a brother. Um, they'll get smart one day. And so we, we decided we we're like, Hey man, there's going to be a ton of snow. And so they were pumped about it. They're super excited about it. Well, we woke up in the morning and there was literally no snow. If you, if you remember, there was nothing, right? So Erica got up earlier because she was anxious about it, like super excited about it. She gets up early, goes to look outside. She comes climbing back in bed with an attitude, like wakes me up and it's like, there is no snow. And she was mad about it, disappointed about it. But then we realized in that moment, we are about to have a really bad day. Because my son came in to the bedroom and he hops in bed thinking there's going to be snow. He looks out our window and he realizes there's no snow. So now he's like, I was going to bring my sled to school and I was going to bring this. There's no snow. Oh, there's no snow. So he's freaking out. We can kind of console him through. He's a little bit older and mature now. Um, He takes after his father with wisdom. And so it was going to be easy, right? My daughter, on the other hand, she came in, and I've never seen this before, but she looks out the window, realizes there's no snow, and all of a sudden it was nuclear meltdown, crocodile tears, and then she's like, there's no snow. She throws herself backwards, and she literally hits Erica in the face. I mean, she is, like, she is furious at the fact that there is no snow. Why? Because she had literally been waiting all night long for snow. Have you ever been in that moment where you've waited for something for so long, like there's so much anticipation, and then it doesn't equalize to the way that you want it to, and there's that disappointment that just sinks down deep? Like you're just like, all my life is over, because it didn't pan out the way that I wanted it to pan out. And that was where Shiloh was at. But I started thinking about that. And I realized that expectations are a funny thing, aren't they? Many of us go through life kind of with the same type of process. We have a lot of things that we're looking forward to, a lot of hopes and a lot of dreams and a, and a lot of expectations that have so much power in our lives, especially when those expectations are not met, when life and faith and circumstance look very different than what we had hoped for and expected. And many of us go through life throwing the same temper tantrum that my daughter did when it doesn't go our way. The reality is that many of us, along with countless amounts of people across the world, have lost hope. Not because hope is gone, though, but because our expectations have not been met or things look very different than we thought they would look. So this morning, as we kick off this series, A Way in a Manger, I want to speak to you from the subject, I didn't expect that. As we look at what we learned from the story of Christmas about hope and expectations. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7 says this. Helps paint the picture for us, if you will, if we can add some context to where we're going this Christmas season. It says, for us... 
For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Come on, how many of you sound, that, that sounds pretty good, right? That, that, I mean, that is awesome stuff right there. Of the increase, it gets better. Of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to hold it up with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I mean, that sounds great. Who wouldn't look forward to this arrival, this being written now 700 years before Jesus would actually arrive on the scene? I mean, come on. That is a long time to be waiting for a gift. How many of you would love to wait for a gift for 700 years? Okay, most most of us wouldn't, right? We have a problem waiting in line at Starbucks, right? Let alone 700 years for a gift that had so much promise and so much writing on it. And the reason was because the climate that these people were living in if you fast forward, well, really from, from the prophecy all the way till Jesus' arrival, the climate was horrific. And even more so at the time that Jesus would then come into the picture, things were not the best. Things weren't going the best. Society wasn't the best. The culture wasn't the best. I mean, for a lot of us, we look at the, the nation that we live in, the world that we live in, the things going on, and we'd say, man, maybe the same thing. But Philip Yancey, in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew, captures why hope and expectation would be so heightened concerning the advent of Jesus. Listen to what he says. He says, scarcely a day passed, in fact, without an execution under Herod's regime being the king of the time. The political climate at the time of Jesus' birth resembled that of Russia in the 1930s under Stalin. Citizens could not gather in public meetings. Spies were everywhere. In Herod's mind, the command to slaughter Bethlehem's infants was probably an act of utmost rationality. A rearguard action to preserve the stability of his kingdom against a rumored invasion of another. Herod the Great was half Jew, all right, who through his accommodation to the Romans ascended to power as client ruler of Israel in about 37 BC. He was known as a great builder of public works and a shrewd diplomat in dealings with both Romans and with Jews, but he laid oppressive taxes and conscripted labor from the Israelites. And as he grew older, he became increasingly paranoid about threats against his person and his throne. He had numerous sons, wives, and others close to him put him to death because he feared, he would put them to death because he feared plots to overthrow him. Paranoid, I bet. This is the, this is the climate. And now he's afraid because of this rumor that his kingdom's about to be overthrown. There's one coming who's going to overthrow this all. And, and a rumored invasion. And this is the climate that Jesus is brought into. Great political turmoil birthed out of fear and desire for power, thus leading Herod to kill all boys two years and under throughout Bethlehem and in the region. Now we know biblically that this invasion was a grander invasion than even what he thought it was the invasion of God's kingdom prophesied in Isaiah, ushered in at the advent of Jesus. So he, God in flesh, enters into the world among strife, illegitimacy, shrouded in scandal because of his mother Mary and Joseph and mystery, born without means, without fanfare and without triumphant exaltation to the call of advent, of, to call the advent of Jesus humble, is an understatement. We need to learn some things from this. So it's in this moment that expectation wanes. Hope darkens because 
This moment of the coming king did not look like a king. He did not fit the description of one who would overthrow regimes and establish new world order. He did not resemble royalty, but rather resembled those who believed he would be royalty. Let me ask you a question this morning. Has this ever happened to you? Has God looked different or performed differently than you thought he should or how you wanted him to? Has hope grown dimmer and expectation waned because the advent of Jesus in your life did not look the way that you thought it would? Has life up until this moment maybe not gone as planned? Are you sitting in this holiday season in turmoil because of lost loved ones and because of you don't have the means for this or because the job's not going the way that you thought it would or the relationship isn't panning out? I've been talking to people all morning long who are going through these moments and they're saying, man, Pastor Jason, it doesn't look the way that I thought it would look. You ever been there before? Have things looked differently in your life? Has Jesus operated in a way that you didn't think he would operate? So this morning, I just want to share two simple truths with us that I believe we need to understand this Advent season about expectation and hope. And the first one is this. The first truth is this, is that how we wait is just as important as what we are waiting for. How we wait is just as important as what we are waiting for. Four, one of the greatest issues that we face when it comes to expectation and hope is the issue of waiting. And waiting tends not to be one of our most favorite practices. Come on, somebody. All right, like how many of us really love to wait? Like how many of us will wake up tomorrow and be like, you know what, today I wanna go wait in a few lines, right? Like one of the reasons that I'm adamantly against Black Friday is because of waiting, I cannot, like there, I just can't stomach the idea of, of that, of everything that's there. I, I, waiting in lines is really, I'm the guy who I drive past Starbucks like as a kind of secretive, like a secret operative mission to check and see how big the line is before I determine whether I'm actually gonna get a coffee or not, right? Because I wanna be able to run in, get my coffee, run out. We do not like line. Patience is not our thing, right? Some of us get frustrated over minute rice, because it's not 30-second rice. Come on, somebody come up with that, right? Some of us will lose our minds if the Wi-Fi is not working appropriately, right? You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, right? A brother will lose his stuff if the Wi-Fi is not working, right? And I'm right there with you. Like, I get in, and if my Wi-Fi is not working, why is it so, why is it so, why are you working so slow, Right? And you're looking around and everybody else seems to be enjoying their Wi-Fi. <laughs> and you're like, I'm going to break their phone and their phone and their phone. I want my Wi-Fi now, right? We don't know how to wait. Can you think back to the days when we had dial-up? What did we do with ourselves? <laughs> do you remember that when you would like, like for me, like I was, I was in high school. Uh, I remember high school walking into the, com- the computer lab and you could hear all the, <laughs> right? You're like, <laughs> yeah, this, it was awesome. What did we do with ourselves when we had to wait that long? Oh, we read <laughs> and shook people's hands and talked. Do you remember when you had to like actually memorize phone numbers? Right? And now we're just like, I don't even know your phone number, right? We have to have it. It's, it waiting drives us insane. How we wait is just as important as what we are waiting for. 
Listen to what Solomon would say as he would pen Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. I love that. It's in the circumstance of waiting that God does his greatest works of grace in our lives. Waiting is an important part of God's design for our lives. See, for some of us, we hate the idea of waiting, especially waiting on God, because we somehow believe that God is this cosmic vending machine who's just there to answer our quarter-sized prayers. But if you were to really kind of dig into the Bible, if you were to really kind of understand the nature and the character of God, God did his greatest works in and through people with the process of waiting. Parents, we understand this because we tell our kids to wait all the time and we're okay with it, right? Because they're the ones waiting, right? Come on, parents, how many of you have said this before? If you need the answer now, the answer is no. Or have that, you've had that said to you before. My parents used to say that all to me because I was like relentless. My teachers called me relentless. I'd like, now, 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 can we do it now? Can we do it now? Can we do it now? Hey, can I, can I, can I, can I? And then I wonder why my son is the way that he is, right? <laughs> it's my personality. I'm constantly moving. I'm constantly shifting. And it's, it's not just ADD. It's just my personality. Like I want, I can't wait for the next thing. Christmas at our house is really hard, right? Because worse than me, my son is my wife. And she's given that thing to my son. She's indoctrinated him with the incessant desire to peek, sneak, shake, look, hold up to light, and just flat out open it before you're supposed to. <laughs> Why? Because they cannot wait. But waiting faith enables us to understand how God works and why he works. But there's something that I've learned about waiting is if we're not careful with our expectations, instead of learning to understand how and why God works, our expectations, if, not, if we're not careful, will cause us to critique how God works. And let's be honest, as humans, we don't always like the way God works. We don't always like the way that he, he does things in our life. But he uses waiting to develop us. Let's put it another way. Delay is used to develop the culture of our soul. To get good at waiting. To get good at waiting. Now, in the Bible, you read the story of Abram, who was given a promise. God says, you're going to have a child. I'm going to give you this child in your old age. His wife, Sarah, was old. I mean, like beyond baby developing age. Old. And it's in this moment that when they receive this promise, at first they're pretty hyped about it. Yeah, all right, we're going to trust you, God, with this. But as you read the storyline, what tends to happen, like many of us, they get frustrated with the idea of waiting. So Sarah comes one day and says, hey, I've got an idea. I'm done with waiting, just like you're done with waiting. So how about we kind of take things into our own hands? And this is where you kind of see how things get screwed up. She says, why don't you take my maidservant and develop a baby with her and everything that goes along with that? That's crazy talk. Right? That, that's like, that, that's just, just kind of mental to me. But this is what happens. So, of course, Abraham goes, yeah, okay, sure. <laughs> Why not? And so he decides to go along with this insane plan. And as he goes along with this insane plan, we know that she gets pregnant, the, the maidservant gets pregnant, and they have a child. 
Now God's gracious enough and still being frustrated with them and, and doing what they are doing, he will eventually give them the child promise. But here's something what I've learned about waiting, that if we're not careful, we have a tendency to do, and that's this. If we don't learn how to wait appropriately, we will always prostitute the promise. We will always prostitute the promise. And I use those terms because I want us to understand how important it is to wait. See, waiting, when done right, is an expression of worship. Why? Because it's saying, Jesus, you have the lead in my life. Jesus, take the wheel. But our greatest acts of worship is when we make him leader of our life. Waiting, right waiting, is a posture of reception. It's the idea that when I learn how to wait, I'm putting myself in a position where I'm saying, God, I'm ready to receive from you. But see, when we're not waiting, when we're running around and we're trying to devise and scheme and do everything that we want to do and, and it's our way and we only trust God when it looks the way that we want it to look and it's all going that way, we're actually not in a posture of reception but rejection because we're too busy trying to do it our way. I want to encourage somebody this morning. I want to help you this morning. We got to learn to wait appropriately. Here's another way of putting it. Don't hate the wait. Don't hate the wait. Get comfortable with waiting. Learn to be okay with waiting. Learn how to chill and wait. And I watch so many people miss the will of God for their lives because they hate the wait. Hate the wait. Waiting is a product of faith. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 13 gives us this big old list of people who live by faith. And then it says this in verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They had this perspective that God is faithful to his promises. So though I haven't received it, I'm going to be okay with waiting. I'm going to be okay with pushing into what God has for me. Don't hate the wait, church. Let's be okay with waiting. The Advent season, Jesus incarnate, Jesus in flesh was about waiting. And they were waiting, and they were waiting, and they were waiting. And what they waited for did not look like they thought it was going to look. And that's when we get frustrated with waiting. And that's how waiting hurts us. It's because so many times it doesn't look the way that we want it to look, which brings me to the second truth that we need to understand this morning, and that's this. If we're not careful, expectations can cause us to miss what is right in front of us. Luke chapter 7, verses 18 through 23 says this. The disciples of John reported all these things to him, all these things being miracles and things that Jesus was doing and performing. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Because at this point, we got to understand about the scriptures that Jesus had come, but they still weren't convinced because, well, he looked different. And in not being convinced, they're like looking for another thing. They're looking for another person. They're looking for another miracle. Should we be looking for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Verse 21, in that hour, he healed many people of diseases, almost like I told you so. Look at what I'm doing, right? And plagues and evil spirits and on, and, and on many who were blind and besto he bestowed sight. And he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. 
The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. That's an interesting, that's an interesting piece of scripture right there. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. What is Jesus trying to say? Jesus understood in that moment because he did not look or fit the mold that they had believed a king, the one who was going to overthrow everything, would look and fit, they were offended by him. In other words, the gift didn't look the way they wanted it to look. Come on, have you ever been, have, have you ever been that person that you receive a gift on Christmas, and on the outside you're like, thank you, and on the inside you're like, I did not want this. You know what I'm talking about? It's like grandma's sweater that's knitted for you that only fits like mid-belly button. Maybe that's just me, right? I remember this story that gets thrown out every single Christmas in our family, a, a, a transaction that took place between Erica and her sister, a gift that, that Erica was given by her sister. And it was a gift that Erica, it was not her personality, it was not her thing, she didn't want it. And well, my wife's pretty like to the point, and so she was just kind of like, hey, I don't like this, right? And <laughs> I love the honesty of my wife, but she was very open about it that Christmas day, which how many of you know probably offended her sister, right? It did. She's still offended by it today. There's fights, they throw food, they beat each other up. It's crazy, all right? But it is something that we joke about and we laugh about, but it was actually the same thing with Jesus. It was the same with these people were waiting for him and they received a gift. They were waiting for a king and they got a carpenter. Right? They, were, they were waiting for one who would come in with triumphant, in, like just come in on, on a bandwagon with sound and noise and, and the spectacular. And they got a humble carpenter. Think about that. Isn't that how we want God to show up in our lives? Like it's just this tornado that just like whoosh comes rushing. It's spectacular with fireworks and like elephants and ponies and everything like that. Then we'll know it's Jesus. But if you notice that Jesus doesn't operate that way, he comes in humbly and soft, comes in with character and integrity, and he only comes in when invited. He doesn't power his way in. He doesn't push his way in. He doesn't muscle his way in. He comes in invited, humbly. And the people were offended at him. The Pharisees were offended at him. Even the disciples of John were offended at him because he didn't look the way he should have looked. I guess this Christmas, I want us to think about that. Because maybe this season right now, you're in a moment that looks very different than you thought it was going to look. Maybe this weekend you're dealing with the breakup of a relationship and you didn't think that Christmas would look like that this year. Maybe this weekend, this season, you're dealing with the loss of a loved one and you didn't think that was going to be how your holiday season was going to go. Maybe this holiday season you are in the throes of your addiction again. You thought you had it beat. You thought that it wasn't going to get you. And while you were looking forward to this merry, happy holiday season, all of a sudden you're facing a moment that's very different than what your expectations have been. Maybe this Christmas season you're dealing with health issues that you didn't think 
you would ever have, and it's changed life as you know it. Maybe this Christmas season, your finances are in shambles, and it's causing friction and frustration in your life. So your relationships are on edge, and you realize that your job's not going to do it, or maybe this Christmas season, you've lost everything. And while as a pastor, I, everything inside of me wants to have a happy, happy message and, and, and everything like that and, and, and maybe just keep it veneer and on the outside, but as your pastor, I've got to get straight to the point, which is that a lot of us are hurting. And for a lot of us this morning, life doesn't look like we thought it was going to look. It doesn't feel like we thought it was going to feel. Jesus is showing up in our lives in a way that we didn't think he was going to show up. We thought everything was supposed to be grand and awesome and nice and beautiful. But this holiday season doesn't represent that for us. But I want you to know something this morning. That there is a God in heaven who sent his greatest gift, his greatest passion, his greatest love. And his name is Jesus. And if nothing else is going right, Jesus is always in the manger. He showed up right on time, right on schedule, right for you. We can be hopeless. We can be in despair. But the manger reminds us that there was a way. His name is Jesus. I hope and I pray that we don't get lost in all the stuff and things this holiday season that we can keep Jesus at the center of it all. That he would be our centerpiece this holiday season. That while we may be waiting on something, do the waiting well. Don't hate the wait. And while we may have expectations as to what God is supposed to do and should be doing, don't allow your expectations to cause you to miss what is right in front of you. Don't allow your expectations to cause you to miss Jesus in your midst. And I promise you this, the God who sent his one and only son, Jesus, is faithful to complete his promises. Come on, church, hear that this morning. He is faithful to complete his promises. He gave us peace, he gave us hope, One of these candles will light about joy, love, but ultimately, the center can't, like, spoiler alert, (laughs) Jesus. Jesus. Away in a manger. Jesus. This season, guys.